Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, my name is Mika and I will be your operator today. Welcome to CN Second Quarter's 2021 Financial and Operating Results Conference Call. All participants are now in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. I would now like to turn the call over to Paul Butcher, Vice President, Investor Relations. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Butcher. Well, thank you, Nika. Good afternoon, everyone. And thank you for joining us for CN's second quarter 2021 financial results conference call. Now, before we begin, I'd like to draw your attention to the forward-looking statements and additional legal information available at the beginning of the presentation. As a reminder, today's conference call contains certain projections and other forward-looking statements within the meeting of the U.S. and Canadian securities law. These statements are subject to risk and uncertainty that may cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in these statements and are more fully described in our cautionary statements regarding forward-looking statements in our presentation. After the prepared remarks, we will conduct a Q&A session. I do want to remind you to please limit yourself to one question. The IR team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to CN's President and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. J.J. Rouet. Thank you, Paul, and uh, thank you, Nika. So good afternoon, everyone. And uh, today we have two agenda, two items for this, uh, for this call. First, we want to highlight our quality result, and also we want to give you an update on our KCS uh, combination. Therefore, the call might be a bit longer than usual today. But first, our thought goes out to the community and First Nation of Lytton in BC and the terrible fires impacting British Columbia this summer. We are committed to helping our neighbors in crisis and the several CN employees whose life has been impacted by the natural disaster. Let's go to the Q2 highlight on page six. I wanna start by saying how proud I am of our dedicated railroaders performance this year. The hard work and exceptional effort that our people continue to deliver on the business. Our results reflect broad-based strength and forward momentum across all of our business and also the enduring power of our vast and diversified CN network. For three quarters in a row, we have delivered year-over-year growth in our EPS. In the last quarter, our adjusted diluted EPS was $1.49, which is up 16% versus last year, but it's also up 25% at a constant currency. Our operating income is up 76% year over year, and adjusted operating income is up 9%. We help enable the economy with exceptional growth. Volume was up 13%. We diligently work in our combination with KCS, and we also stayed focused on our yield management and network operation execution. The freight revenue per carlo grew 7%, and same-store pricing was up well over 4% in the second quarter. Safety performance, employee engagement index, customer sentiment index have all sequentially improved. We are focused on our customers, on our safety, and on the combination with KCS, all of which will drive long-term value creation for our shareholders. We have confidence in the future. I will now pass it on to Rob, who will review our operation. Rob? All right, thank you, JJ. And as you mentioned, our thoughts are with the communities impacted by the wildfires in British Columbia, with nearly 300 active fires still burning, and more specifically with the people of Lytton as they begin the road to recovery from the devastating fires. With those fires, we did lose a critical bridge on our route to Vancouver. Uh, through the great work of our engineering team, we were able to restore service last week after a two-week outage and we will begin, we will be a few weeks more before we are fully recovered from the backlog of traffic of the outage. 
turning the last quarter's results, very solid performance, delivering on 13% volume growth with car velocity dwell and labor productivity improved year over year. In the quarter, the team delivered another quarterly record on fuel efficiency, improving 2% over last year's industry-leading numbers, and also setting an all-time monthly record in June. Year-to-date, the team has saved approximately $20 million from our fuel efficiency initiatives alone and avoided nearly 100,000 tons of CO2 emissions into the atmosphere. Our safety culture is delivering results with an all-time lowest quarter uh, injury frequency ratio. In year-to-date, our injury and train accident ratios have improved 27 and 30 percent, respectively. Operating a safe railroad for our employees, customers, and communities we operate in is paramount to our success as a company. In the quarter, we also continue to deliver for our customers, as noted in our improvement with Customer Satisfaction Index. And in April, we completed our 14th consecutive record month of Canadian grain movements. We are confident in the business outlook, and to that end, we have 500-plus conductors and engineers in training to support that need, along with having the necessary locomotives ready to pull that freight. That, I'll turn it over to James. Thank you, Rob. During Q2, we saw the more balanced demand recovery that we expected, with carload volume up 21%, beating Q2 in almost all commodity segments. Manifest carload growth was a key driver of our sequential and year-over-year improvement in volume. With a 23% increase in lumber, driven by continued record commodity pricing, record propane volumes up over 20%, and better than 150% increase in Fraxan versus last year. In spite of the impact of three mine closures late last year, we saw volume growth in coal as a result of the startup of our new tech contract and strong U.S. exports. Potash was another bright spot in Q2. On the strength of North American potash market share gains, we increased our average length of haul by over 200 miles and beat last year's Q2 volume by more than 40%. U.S. grain volume was up 21% versus last year, but Canadian grain was a different story. After 14 consecutive months of record performance, grain was an outlier. As we lapped a record Q2 in 2020 and our strong performance in Q1, left us with less than average carryover to move in Q2. We continue to move more grain tonnage with less resources as a result of our aggressive push towards system fleet renewal. We will benefit from continued strong demand for lumber in H2 and escalating demand for frac sand as seasonally adjusted drilling activity continues to improve. Exiting Q2, we saw continued volume ramp up through the Watson Island Propane Export Facility at Prince Rupert. This will position us to continue to set new records for export propane volume through the balance of the year. With the worst of COVID possibly behind us and strong export pricing for metallurgical and thermal coal, we may see one or possibly two Canadian coal plants restart in the second half of this year. Our same store price has been accelerating each quarter since mid last year. We expect this pace to continue through 2021 as customers look to secure valuable capacity. As JJ stated, Q2 same store price was again well over 4%, with sequential improvement compared to Q1 of this year. We will continue to price ahead of railway cost inflation during the post-COVID economic recovery and maintain a very disciplined approach to yield management. With that, I'll turn it over to Keith. Thanks, James. The consumer-based economy continued to generate strong volumes for CN. Combined, containers moving through the West Coast ports of Prince Rupert and Vancouver grew 18% versus 2020 and grew 5% over Q2 2019 to set an all-time quarterly record. The CN business through the ports of Halifax, St. John, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, New Orleans, and Mobile combined also to set an all-time Q2 record for collecting our proven track record and industry-leading ability to establish and convert on new products. CN is truly a leader in intermodal execution. Our domestic business continued strong with volume growth of 11% over Q2 2020 and up 3% over Q2 2019. Working with our strategic wholesale, IMC partners, and through our door-to-door sales channels, grocery, e-commerce, and consumer products purchasing drove the volume. Overall, CN Intermodal volumes were up 14% over Q2 last year, a record Q2 for our intermodal business. 
Our Automotive 2021 Q2 results show a 98% increase versus Q2 2020 due to the rebound in demand and the reopening of auto manufacturing facilities. CN is well positioned for the microchip supply chain recovery as we serve both Canadian ports and several large volume high demand model assembly plants. We continue to improve train utilization and service metrics. Average intermodal train density increased with 6% more containers per train, a key enabler of profitability. As a result, we are generating additional revenue per train at low incremental costs. Our operational and commercial initiatives, such as contract renewal pricing and capacity optimization programs, drove double-digit intermodal contribution margin improvement over 2020 and sequential improvement over Q1 2021. With the ongoing strong job creation in both the United States and Canada, we are focused on the optimized use of our capacity and the value creation of our customer-focused services and our unique three-coast network. I will now pass it on to Gisline for the financial perspective. <clears throat> Thank you, Keith. My comments will start on page 12 of the presentation, which will provide more color on our second quarter performance. During the quarter, we recorded $32 million related to the amortization of the bridge financing fees related to the pending KCS acquisition. Recall that in Q2 2020, earnings also included a non-cash charge for non-core branch lines held for sale. Excluding these non-recurring items, adjusted net income was around $1.6 billion, up 17%, with adjusted diluted EPS of $1.49, up 16% versus last year. Foreign exchange was a headwind of $0.11 cents of EPS. In addition, fuel lag negatively impacted the quarter by $0.07 cents of EPS year-over-year and added around 400 basis points to the OR. If we adjust for these two items, our adjusted EPS would have been up 30%, so a solid underlying performance. Other income was up by around $50 million versus last year due to the mark-to-market gain on an equity investment in autonomous driving technology. Turning to page 13, let me highlight a few of our key expense categories expressed on a constant currency basis. Labor and French benefit expense was up 28% versus last year. This was mostly driven by increased wages due to a 9% higher average headcount and higher incentive compensation. Fuel expense was up 86% driven by a 76% increase in price and a 14% higher workload, partly offset by another solid fuel efficiency improvement of 2%. Now moving to cash on page 14, we generated free cash flow of close to $1.3 billion through the end of June, $300 million lower than 2020, mainly from lower net cash from operating activity mostly due to cash tax deferrals last year as part of COVID measures, partly offset by lower capex. We continue to pause share buybacks in light of our proposal to combine with KCS. Moving on to page 15, we are encouraged by the broad economic recovery and continued vaccine rollout, which reinforces our confidence for the balance of the year. Therefore, we are reaffirming our financial outlook and are targeting double-digit adjusted diluted EPS growth for 2021. We still expect to deliver free cash flow in the range of three to $3.3 billion, which will drive further improvement in free cash flow conversion. I will now turn the call back to you, JJ. Thank you, Slay. And uh, if you could join me on page 17, the CSKPS safer, faster, cleaner, stronger, end-to-end combination, and we need all of that. I will start by saying that the deeper we dive into the potential of the combination, the more excited I get about it. The benefits that we will bring to the three USMC economies, the increased rail and intermodal competition, the environmental benefits. That makes this combination truly a compelling vision for the future. The combination will create a new seamless single operator service while preserving access to all the existing gateways. We will be adding new route choice and enhancing robust price competition with our gateway pricing transparency. The combination will strengthen the North American supply chain and create the first true North-South North American railroad. New direct connection will be created that allow for more reliable and less expensive supply chain to Canada and Mexico from the American heartland. 
they are also very important ESG benefits. Together with KCS, we will shift thousands and thousands of long-haul truckloads off the road and onto the rail intermodal network, and at the same time, create new jobs, different kind of jobs, better jobs. The CN and KCS combination represent a pro-competitive solution, a new model for the future, with unparalleled opportunities for a broad group of stakeholders, and they all have responded with strong support. With every step of the process, we are committed to work with the STB to address concerns that may have that they may have and enable a successful combination with KCS. We'll go on page 18. The combined CN and KCS network presents numerous public interests and customer benefits. We will add new single line routes that will be more reliable and more cost effective for our customers. Our combined network will enhance the ability to connect with other class one at major gateway. This is a color growth story with vibrant gateway. By enhancing pricing visibility to all existing gateways, customers will have enhanced rail competition, greater optionality of choices, and new ability to shop for the best price, best service combination. That's the model for a better future. The CN-KCS combination will work in partnership with passenger rail service in both United States and Canada. We are confident that our plain vanilla voting trust meets the STB insulation from control and public interest requirements as KCS will be fully independent during the voting trust period and continue to grow their business, invest capital, and provide the same high quality level of service. Together, CN and KCS will be able to recognize great synergies, targeting $1 billion of EBITDA synergies primarily from growth. This is a merger based on growth. But there's a lot more, but these are just some of the many benefits that we expect from our combination with KCS, which has already received widespread support that I will talk about more next. Go on page 19. Our customers, the communities, and all of other stakeholders evidently share the same view as we have. At the end of the comment period, over 1,750 letters of support were filed with the STB, including more than 1,000 which requested the approval of the voting trust. Notable support came from more than 30 elected officials, the former STB commissioner and vice chairman William Claver Jr., and shareholders such as Cascade and CDPQ. Industry experts, including Dr. William Hineke, former director of the Office of Economic and former chief economist of the STB, also recognized the competitive benefit of our combination, including more competitive shipping options. Now, a summary of the path to conclusion, the, the graph on page 20. We are within a few weeks of a decision from the STB, and we made a solid filing on the merit of our submission. Then the next key milestone is a KCS special shareholders meeting, which will be held on August 19. Subject to approval from KCS shareholders, the STB voting trusts, and the Mexican regulators, as well as other customary closing conditions, CN will acquire KCS shares and place them into a voting trust. At that time, KCS shareholders will be able to receive the consideration from CN. We are targeting obtaining this approval and closing into a voting trust in the second half of this year. Our proposed transaction does not require CN shareholders' approval and does not require approval by the Canadian regulators. In the second half of 2022, we expect to obtain common control approval from the STB and other regulatory authorities. Once full STB approval is received, the voting trust will be terminated and CN will acquire voting rights and operating control of KCS. So in conclusion, page 20, our combination is pro-competitive and it will yield significant public benefit. We are committed to increase customer options. We're keeping all existing gateway available. We are enhancing rail-to-rail competition with other class one. We are committed to divest the only overlapping line between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, 
creating a true end-to-end -end transaction. And we will drive conversion from truck traffic to rental model, providing ESG benefits for the environment and local communities. In the joint CN-KCS filing to the STB of July 6, we demonstrated our proposal, proposed voting trust satisfies the board test. Our voting trust, our voting trust allow KCS to maintain control during the trust period, and the approval of a voting trust caused no harm and is in no and is in the public interest. To conclude, we are looking forward to a positive ruling of the voting trust from the STB, and we are fully committed to this highly strategic transaction that will create significant value for all of our stakeholders. So, operator, we will now turn into the question period. Paul. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. As previously mentioned, we ask that you kindly limit yourself to one question. The first question comes from the line of Ken Hawkster from Bank of America. The lines are open. Great. Good afternoon. Hey, JJ, I'm, I'm actually going to start on, on kind of operations, uh, not on the M&A, but, um, you know, just looking at, at your train length, tick down a bit, you, you talk about the congestion impacts and, and getting back to fluidity. Maybe just start with, with the operations and, and uh, Keith noted the West Coast congestion driving some volume to other Canadian gateways. Can you talk about the fluidity around the EJ&E and, &E and, and similarly in, in the answer, you kind of talk about labor and ability to get labor to, to keep, keep pace with the growth. Thanks. Well, thank you, Ken, Ken for the question. We love question regarding the operations. So, Rob, you want to talk a bit about EJ&E and, &E and maybe what's happening in Western Canada? Yeah, absolutely. Starting with the fires there, Ken, uh, you know, we, we lost a bridge um, between uh, Kamloops and uh, Boston Bar on June 30th and had it restored back July 13th. And that's a segment of railroad that averages about 25 trains a day. So, you know, not moving anything or very little uh, during that time has, has created a backlog. So. You know, we, we've opened it up, but I would also say it's a very active situation in British Columbia with the fires. So there are starts and stops uh, out there with, with some 300 fires out there, but uh, the road to recovery is on and we're probably uh, a couple weeks, as I made mention in my, uh, in my remarks, before we're fully recovered and have this thing reset. As far as EJ&E, we're, we're very fluid. There's no issues there. And, and uh, again, EJ&E, while you bring it up, is, is a true advantage that we have that bypasses the city of Chicago and allows us an advantage that no other railroad has that goes to Chicago. So it, stay, it remains fluid, and we're, we're operating quite well down there. Um, Keith, did you want to say anything as far as the diversions? The, um, you know, we're working uh, very closely with our uh, supply chain partners in uh, British Columbia, the ports there, to take on any uh, business that has been uh, diverted uh, north. Um, in Q1 and Q2, we've been very, very fluid at our terminals, not only on the West Coast, but the East Coast and the, uh, and the Gulf Coast. So uh, we were ready to, uh, to, to handle the business coming to us in this uh, very tragic um, incident that occurred in BC. Uh, we'll get back, as Rob said, a couple weeks and we'll be back uh, back fluid. Thanks for your question, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Thanks, JJ. That's your next question comes from the line of Allison Landry from Credit Suisse. Your line is now open. Okay, Hello, my question. Hello. Um, I just wanted to ask about the, the incremental margins in the quarter. They, they seemed a bit muted at under 30%. You know, I understand that the fuel and incentive comp headwind, but yeah, with core pricing accelerating to, you know, something north of 4%, you know, would have expected the operating leverage to um, have been a little bit stronger. So, you know, assuming the, the strength in, in price persists, um, how should we think about the incremental margins in the back half, um, and do you expect operating profits to go to grow faster than the top line? Thank you. Yeah, good question, Allison. Uh, just Lane will take that. He has the detail around uh, the operating margin. Yeah, the incremental, thank you, Allison. The incremental margin, um, you're right. I think in the quarter, the, on a reported basis, the incremental, incremental margins were 30%. And to your point, if you adjust for uh, FX and you adjust for fuel, then the incremental margins were 60%. So uh, quite good. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the headwinds on FX and fuel can dissipate a little bit when you look at it today. 
uh, you know, FX is around 78 cents. Uh, it hovered uh, between 80, 82 and 83 during the quarter. Our guidance is, uh, is supported by an 80 cents FX for the full year. And fuel as well that came down, we were talking uh, together here before the call, uh, was used to be last week around $72, $73 WTI. And, um, and now it's, uh, it's down to about uh, 65. So again, I think that there are our underlying performance is quite good. Uh, and when you look at it, uh, when you adjust for these two uncontrollable factors, you know, our EPS was up 30%. So we're, we're, quite, uh, we're quite pleased with that performance. Yeah, very exactly. We're very pleased with the performance. And uh, CN being a railroad that has quite a bit of revenue into two currency, if you look at your Bloomberg uh, screen and look at the Canadian dollars in the second quarter, you will notice that it sort of peaked for May and June, and right now it's back to 79, but it was as much as 83 cents. So it has, it has an impact uh, on the short term. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Sherilyn Radburn from PD Securities. Your line is now open. Thanks very much. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, as you know, the market reacted with some concern a couple of weeks ago to the Biden executive order, and I was just hoping to get your take on the tone and content of that order. Yeah, so Sean has uh, been following this uh, very closely. Sean, you want to talk about the STB and the executive order? Sure, Sean. Thanks for the question. I guess, you know, the best um, indication to see how uh, the chair of the STB uh, on the day it was issued responded publicly in a press release. And uh, you know, obviously we share at CN the goals of the executive order about a fair, open, and competitive marketplace. Uh, it's a cornerstone of the U.S. economy. But, you know, if you look at what uh, the chairman said, you know, it clearly indicates that the order encourages the STB to provide accessible remedies to shippers, to focus vigorously on enforcing and accounting for one-time performance standards and avoid unwarranted delays in passenger rail service. That's the focus of the, the chairman. And, you know, in that same press release, he recognizes that uh, under certain conditions, consolidation does have benefit, it can be beneficial. And I think this is a good example where our CNKCS uh, combination with enhanced competition uh, and obviously, uh, the remedies that, uh, or the the, uh, the uh, possibilities we're setting forth when it comes to uh, open gateways, and really going at this, looking at how do we ensure that customers have more choices and not less choices in a combination. We're very comfortable that uh, through the STB uh, overall control application, we will clearly demonstrate the benefits of this transaction, and we think that we'll do so in a way that uh, recognizes the comments made by uh, Chairman Oberman. Uh, on the executive order, but also you know, just making sure that what uh, we're putting forward, uh, you know, we're, we're not one of the four four railways mentioned in the executive order. We're uh, we're uh, not in that uh, in that group, and I think we have an opportunity to show how uh, this end-to-end uh, -end combination will create more competition, but also uh, really serve customers uh, in a very strong fashion uh, through all three countries and really connect the continent. So we think that uh, the executive order is uh, has. Uh, uh, some very strong comments that uh, we can build off to show that this uh, this combination is a solution to uh, what's being set out in the order itself. Thank you. That's all from me. Thank you, Sherilyn. Your next question comes from the line of David Vernon from Bernstein. Your line is now open. Hi, David. Hey, good. Hey, how are you? Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so, Gizlana, JJ, you know, you guys are holding guidance into what is a pretty steep steep um, headwind on currency, a little bit of a headwind on fuel. There's a little help there from the mark-to-market stuff. Could you just kind of tell us kind of in, in very simple terms, you know, what what's doing better than you're going to thought coming into the year? And then how do you think about staining that into the 21 to 22 timeframe? So I will add it and just lay without some comments. You, you will notice on our page where we reaffirmed our guidance that we're using and approximately 80 cents uh, versus the 75 cents that we had originally in our guidance, but today the dollar is running at 78. It's fluctuating quite a bit. It seems to be following the price of crude, which is also very volatile. On the volume, uh, you know, high single-digit volume, the month of July is affected here by the issue in, in British Columbia. The network is a bit of a stop-and-go as uh, we have to uh, be mindful of uh, what we need to run safely uh, around the communities where we operate, where there's some fires 
and uh, we also have a bit of a backlog for Vancouver. On the pricing, I think pricing is a strong, strong story. And uh, before the fire in BC, I think operating matrix, as uh, Rob described in Q2, they were very solid. And I'm sure sometime in August we'll fall back on our feet on that too. I know, Jason, you want to add something? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe JJ, just a couple of points. So we are we are very comfortable with reaffirming our guidance, uh, David. Uh, but there's a lot of things and a lot of moving parts going out there. I mean, when you look at the forest fires, for sure, and Rob touched upon them, uh, but we think we're going to be able to recover uh, that, uh, this uh, in the next few weeks, as you mentioned. There's also now the Delta variant and COVID in the U.S., so I don't think we're out of the woods yet. We'd like to. I hope it is. Um, and then, obviously, the FX uh, and fuel has moved like a yo-yo. So, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, things are moving, uh, things are moving uh, in different directions. We're quite confident about the broad economic recovery. When you look at different sectors um, and consumer consumption, I think it's quite strong. Uh, but there's things that are moving out there. So, um, you know, that's what I would add, JJ, that, um, you know, we're, we're comfortable with the, with the guidance, uh, but there's lots of moving parts out there. Yeah, having said all that, we are, we are, we are reaffirming today our guidance for uh, 2021. Thank you. Thank you, David. Your next question comes from the line of Scott Group of Wolf Research. The line is now open. Hello, Scott. Yeah, hi, thank you. So I understand some of the, the quarterly volatility with operating ratio, but it does seem like we're on track for the fifth straight year of the operating ratio getting worse. And I know you're, you've been more focused on operating income, but you know, even if we look at second quarter, it's down from four years ago on operating income. So I guess, JJ, my, my question is, what do you feel like you need to do differently to sort of get this thing going in the right direction again? So we are not guiding on operating ratio, as you mentioned. We're focused on operating income, focused on growing EPS, and focused on the free cash flow growth. Also focused on the, you know balance scorecard with safety, employee engagement, customer sentiment, which is key in uh, things like uh, merger proceedings, as well as uh, you know you know make, make, being good custodian environment by reducing your carbon footprint. The EPS at CN has an impact uh, on, on, on exchange uh, this quarter more than other quarter because of the fluctuation. All of us have an, an impact related to the uh, price of diesel, so I think we're all in the same boat. So it's, I think at CN it's growth, profitable growth with good pricing, running a good railroad, uh, and taking into account that we have uh, things that last year the bonus at CN was less. This year in the second quarter we've actually refinished the bonus. You had all these things, uh, but definitely, no, we're not aiming, we're not running the company for the OR, uh, we're running the company for EPS growth, operating income, free cash flow, as well as balance scorecard has taken into account safety, the environment, employee engagement, and uh, customers' sentiment. So that's really where we're at. And the key thing right now is this long-term, very long-term strategic uh, proposal that we have out there in front of the SDD and in front of our shareholders to combine with KCS and really exploit what the future of North America will be in terms of trade at a time where the economy is growing, at a time also where tension with China are increasing. Port business will always be solid for CN, but, you know, there will be probably a very nice tailwind, at least it's our view, between uh, the, three, the three U.S. EMCA countries and, uh, and, and I think creating a network that has good costs, um, competitive costs with others, but we're not aiming for the lowest cost. We're aiming for this combined balance core kind of we were just talking about earlier, starting with APS, operating income, free cash flow, but also being good custodian of uh, the environment, customer sentiment. We need, to, we need to railroad for customers in North America. I think that's basically the essence I'm getting from the uh, executive order from the president, as well as the not-so-subtle message from the SCB. And, uh, and employees' engagement at a time where, uh, you know, the job market is tight and you need to be an attractive employer. So I think it's, it's putting all that in, and this is partly where you, you see where the relative weight of operating, uh, operating ratio fall in. And can you just talk to, if, if the voting trust doesn't go your way in a couple of weeks, what, what, the, what the plan is with respect to the merger? Yeah, Sean, Sean can address that. But, uh, you know, as you know, we, fi we filed uh, 
our final comments on July 6th, we remain confident that, uh, you know, we're going to meet the public interest test. We have met the public interest when it comes to um, unlawful control of KCS during the voting trust period, as well as uh, the financial integrity at the end result. So, you know, uh, we're very confident that we will, in, in the coming weeks, get a positive decision from the STB. The same voting trust as uh, was approved uh, uh, in the CP uh, uh, application. So at this stage, we're really focused on uh, getting the voting trust and proceeding with the KCS shoulder vote on July 19th and getting our Mexican approvals uh, in, uh, in uh, hopefully October or November and closing the voting trust uh, with the KCS shoulders, uh, shoulders in November or early December. And I know, Scott, you read all this material, we, and, you know, we're, we're talking huge filing, but our filing is very compelling as it comes to the voting trust and the things that we are proposing for the marketplace. And I think you will, you will equally be impressed by the time uh, Rob and his team filed the operating plan of the proposed combination and how you know, we're going to address the uh, concern of uh, shippers and the STB. So we're, we're, we're confident, but we're confident because we did the homework. Thank you for your question. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Osenbeck from J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open. Hello, Brian. Hey, JJ. Thanks for taking the question. Um, so I wanted to ask about U.S. truckload conversion opportunities, obviously a big, big part of the industry, uh, you know, growth set going forward, but it's also been a challenge. So um, can, you, can you just walk us through the CN's experience so far in the U.S. with making these conversions happen and making them stick, uh, where you think service levels are relative to where you think they need to be, going forward and you know what sort of investments do you think you need to make on the network uh, to really to really get that growth and to see it convert and stay stay with the CN thank you so, so thank you thank you Brian so maybe Keith can start talking about the commercial effort but I think uh, Rob probably has can also provide you a good sense of what we broadly speaking that we will put together with KCS in terms of a compelling uh, competitive product to compete with a long-haul truck so we'll start with Keith commercially Sure. And, uh, and uh, Brian, if you talk to any of our customers about the uh, service that they get in the States, I think uh, when you survey them, they talk about the, uh, the great, the great uh, velocity of the uh, trains and the uh, on-time performance. Uh, so um, I would say that our, our unique uh, model of having uh, working with a lot of Canadian wholesale customers, INC customers, so non-asset, asset light, um, customers as well as our own retail product allows us to dip into a lot of opportunities with customers, a lot of different sales channels, and uh, and we've been very very successful for that. We also are able to um, to have a lot of uh, uh, multiple touch points with the uh, beneficial cargo owner. We we start with uh, an import load, and we may touch that we may touch that uh, load a second time when it moves from a. Uh, uh, a domestic DC uh, onto stores or, or, or onto another DC. So we've been very successful and we will continue to be successful. And uh, the uh, KCS um, uh, combination allows us to take that show on the road and be even more successful in the future. Rob? Yeah, I just add, you know, when you look at the combination of the two railroads and the opportunities that are there, we've it's well documented what we've talked about there, but very simply, you know, we're a railroad that goes to the upper Midwest. We go to places like Detroit and Toronto and Southern Ontario. KCS goes to Texas and Mexico. And the opportunity to convert some of that with single line service is, is a huge opportunity for us, whether it's coming cross border or Texas and go all the way with, with one railroad, I think is a real advantage to shippers. And uh, that's where we see a, a significant opportunity. We also see opportunities in single line service from places like Detroit to Kansas City that really only one railroad does now and increasing those options for shippers. So very excited about the uh, truck to rail conversion that, that uh, uh, may present itself with the merger. Thanks for the question. Thanks for the question. More options Thanks and more competition. Thank you, Brian. Your next question comes from the line of Ben Wall Pori from Desjardins. Your line is now open. Yeah, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, just looking at the intermodal volume recovery, could you talk uh, a bit about the timing related to inventory replenishment efforts and whether it could last longer than expected given the overall low level of inventory and 
potential changes related to the uh, just-in-time model. Yeah, so I'll, I'll stop briefly, then, but Keith, who's uh, much closer. So definitely, eventually, our lower uh, retailers and people who need product coming from other parts of the world, are their supply chain are disrupted, they're, they're, things are not working out, so they, they try to get the product early, they try to replenish their warehouse, and uh, it, it is a significant concern, and I think we're, it's going to last maybe all, all the way to the beginning of next year. But Keith, you want to add some color in your dialogue with uh, those who went for the product? Sure. I think we mentioned this about four years ago that the uh, traditional peak of everything being uh, kind of in the fall has, uh, has really changed. Um, and that's changed, as you point out, Benoit, with the, uh, how uh, folks are managing their inventories. When we talk to our customers that are bringing products from overseas into North America, um, they, they see this continuing on well into 2022. Um, and, um, and I think that uh, I, I think we won't anymore. I think this is going to be kind of the same way, this, the same volumes all the time, kind of structured, uh, making sure that um, the supply chains are filled. I mean, it, you know, it's uh, unbelievable what our folks and, and, and the other railroads, too, have been able to do through this COVID period, keeping products on the shelves and keeping us all, uh, keeping us all full of uh, the things that we need to run our lives. So thanks for your question, Pamela. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Chris Weatherby from Sydney. Your line is now open. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Um, thanks for taking the question. I wanted to come back to the executive order for a minute, and then maybe more broadly, um, yeah, your, your position on, on maybe the potential for negotiation from a regulatory perspective with the STB to get the voting trust accomplished, I guess. I think there's been some concern that maybe there would be a willingness to accept something from a regulatory perspective that maybe other players in the industry wouldn't be able, wouldn't be willing to accept. You know, for instance, something like reciprocal switching in the U.S. I guess I wanted to get maybe sort of judge your, you know, sort of your your position on on whether there would be some willingness to kind of negotiate some of those regulatory points that we brought up uh, in the executive order that might come up as as the STB goes through the voting trust. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can start. So, the just to maybe a reminder: everything that we filed and all the commitment that we made in terms of how we want to do this combination actually was done formally before the executive order came out. So from that point of view, you know, we, sh we shared a broad goal expressed as expressed by executive order uh, because our CNKCS merger is actually talking about, we, we file on, on, the, uh, on the new rule to enhance competition. We committed to uh, make the end-to-end -end by divesting the New Orleans to uh, Baton Rouge. We are talking seriously, and you know, we made this commitment in writing that we are in favor of binding arbitration to resolve dispute. Uh, that we are, you know, that we have, the gateway will remain open. That the bottleneck, you know, we will not create bottleneck when we become single-line service post-combination. That we will provide pricing visibility so customers can better shop, best price, best service combination by providing Rule 11 pricing. So all these things are really, you know, in our view. Uh, things which maybe we're not we're not saying that one leads to the other, but the executive order talk about enhancing competition, and they also talk about Amtrak, and you know we we, we have also you know talked specifically, and, and Sean can comment. So a lot of the things that uh, is in the spirit at least that's uh, been uh, was uh, offered to uh, by, by the executive order, and there was 72 industries. We were just one of them. I mean we're on track. As regarding reciprocal switching. That's not a CNKCS issue. I mean, that's really is in front of the STB. It involves all seven railroads, and it's not because two railroads uh, merge that you actually can can change the position of reciprocal switching. It has nothing to do with uh, with our merger. It has to do with uh, how the STB wants uh, the landscape of competition as related to a specific point mm -hmm. in the years to come, and we'll see if they actually provide us a, a, a position later this year. Yeah, me, I'll just in. add uh, in one comment about Amtrak. You know, clearly, again, reference in the in the executive order, but you know, in the context of the uh, uh, application to the STB under the new rules, the current rules, uh, it requires that we address uh, you know passenger service um, uh, concerns in the application, or and ensure that we don't do anything that will negatively impact passenger service. You know, we at CN have a have a, um, a long track history of having VIA run us in Canada 
having Amtrak run us in the U.S. We have several commuter services. So we come to this with a with an open mind of how we can better partner with uh, the passenger service uh, as well as Amtrak in the U.S. And we look forward in the context of rest of the application. They're a good example where the executive order referred to it, but we knew from the outset that would be an area where we'd have conversations with our passenger service partners going forward. And maybe, Rob, you, you could expand also on Amtrak and things we, I mean, we're, we're focusing on Amtrak, we're focusing on passenger service. We understand it is one of our, uh, if you wish, uh, social license to run in the U.S. Uh, Rob? Yeah, so we work with Amtrak on a daily basis. Uh, we, you know, as Amtrak runs between Chicago and New Orleans, has interstate service in Illinois, and we run a couple trains east out of Chicago. In our latest uh, report card from uh, Amtrak, we were rated as one of the top railroads in terms of service. So, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, um, it's a commitment we have to Amtrak, and we continue to work with them. And, and as Sean and JJ talked about, we'll certainly work through the uh, Baton Rouge to New Orleans uh, wishes and desires they'll have as well. Thank you, Chris. Your next question comes from the line of John Chappelle from Evercore ISI. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, hey, Rob, John. can you maybe speak, speak a little bit about the uh, speed restrictions uh, that are in place now through October 31st, how that impacts your ability to kind of dig out of the backlog that's, uh, that's accumulated in Vancouver over the last couple of weeks, and also any costs that may be associated with that, whether it's fuel efficiency or, or labor or equipment. Uh, as you kind of work through over the last 14 days. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. So you're referring for the rest of them that don't know ministerial order that went into effect at midnight July 11th, following the fires in BC um, for all railroads in, in Canada. Um, so part of that is related to not to get too far into the weeds is is related to areas that have are labeled as extreme fire danger and where the temperature uh, is above 33 degrees Celsius. So when those conditions are met, we have to reduce speed to 25. So it is somewhat uh, contingent on where those conditions uh, um, are, are on a daily basis, weekly basis. So if it's for a wide swath of, uh, of Canada and that applies to all of Canada, it will be impactful. Um, right now we're able to work through it, but just as we saw last year with the ministerial order uh, in winter, uh, we're able to work with Transport Canada along with uh, Canadian Pacific to uh, make some modifications of that that actually allows us to operate and, and do the things that we need to do. So we have been working with Transport Canada and we'll continue to work with them. Um, but uh, right now with, with some of the conditions out there and the backlog, we're not seeing a huge impact right now. But uh, if we see big, big spikes in weather uh, along with that extreme fire danger, it will have an impact. Okay, so to be clear, the, the maintaining of the high single-digit RTM growth assumes that you're not going to have any much impact whatsoever from these restrictions, kind of return to normalcy starting today. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we are working with Transport Canada, and we fully expect to uh, have some modifications on that over time. All right, thanks a lot, Rob. Thank you. Thank Your you, John. Question. Your next question comes from the line David Zazula from Barclay. Your line is not open. Hey, Rob, just a question for you. It looks like based on the guide, you're going to need to have two big quarters in terms of uh, volume acceleration coming up. I'm just wondering what the plan is for uh, locomotives to be able to support that volume increase, whether you're taking them out of, uh, you know, kind of storage or externals and uh, how that's going to potentially affect the fuel efficiency gains you made this quarter. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question. And uh, we're, to answer short answers, we're well prepared for it. We have about 225 in storage as we sit today. So we're able to adjust that as the quarter went on, and we're preparing here for uh, the third and fourth quarter. As we also mentioned last quarter, we took, uh, we're in the process of taking on 75 uh, new locomotives or newer locomotives. 25 of those we've received, the other 50 uh, will take in the second half of this year. So we feel like we're well positioned to handle the growth here in the second half. Thanks for the question. Yeah, and maybe also, I mean, we, we are, I think our question came up as whether or not railroads are prepared for the fall peak in the U.S. and the, the winter coming after that. And as we file, uh, you know, to uh, 
the regulators in the U.S., you know, we have the crews, we have the locomotive, we have the rolling stock. We're in good shape to uh, meet the need of the economy this fall and next winter. Thank you. All right. Uh, next question comes from the line Tom Wadowitz from UBS. Your line is now open. Hello, Tom. Yeah, hi, hi JJ. Um, so I, I know you have talked about this a bit, but I just want to ask you a, a little bit more on it. Um, it does seem like the executive order shows a lot of sensitivity from the administration, or, or I don't know if sensitivity is the right word, but focus maybe uh, on passenger rail, and there was that specific uh, Amtrak filing against the voting trust. Is there, you know, is there time to negotiate something, or is there in the future, if that was an issue for SCB, do you think there'd be an opportunity to you know, come up with something on the passenger side in the future, because it seems like a, a potential uh, uh, point of focus where, you know, your your current rating was good, but the last couple of years the rating with uh, Amtrak wasn't uh, uh, particularly good. So I just wonder if there's a way. I know, you know, kind of the uh, time to file something new on voting trust is over, but do you think there's any way to finesse that issue if it uh, uh, ends up being a focus for STB? Well, as you said, uh, your words, not mine. Our current rating is good, uh, and we are improving, and there's, there's room for further improvement, and we're focusing on that. Uh, passenger service, including Amtrak, not just Amtrak, but including Amtrak, is part of the stakeholders that uh, one need to recognize and work with in, uh, in addressing the sol with solutions during the merger proceeding, just like shipper association, communities, uh, labor, and, uh, and, and all of these stakeholders. So over time, uh, we will continue to have dialogue with all of the stakeholders, including passenger service and Amtrak. Uh, but I think already, you know, we talked about what we could do as it relates specifically to the New Orleans to Baton Rouge corridor, if uh, Amtrak was to have the funding eventually to run, uh, create a service in that corridor. You want to maybe talk about that, uh, Sean? Yeah, I think, you know, I wouldn't focus too much on uh, the voting trust comments. Obviously, it was in the context of, uh, of an opportunity to, to weigh into the voting trust. I think we take a step back and understand that uh, Amtrak, you know, will have a, a mandate going forward, and it'll be up to uh, the host railways, in this case CN, uh, to work with Amtrak both to address their uh, ongoing uh, uh, concerns they might have with the current service. I think Rob addressed it in a very proactive fashion, saying we work with them every day. And, again, we will address the, uh, the impact of the uh, KCS the CNKCS combination as it applies to passenger service in the STB application, and very confident that when we do so, uh, we'll raise it in a way that, uh, you know, we'll be talking to Amtrak and to other uh, passenger services in the U.S. to make sure they understand what we're talking about. And, you know, I won't go as far as saying they'll be supportive of the overall transaction, but the commitments we'll make will be uh, part of the filing, will ultimately be part of the conditions being imposed. So it's important that uh, we have that dialogue and we understand what exactly Amtrak is looking for and then what is, you know, available when it comes to funding both federally or state to achieve that. So a good example would be Baton Rouge to, uh, to Louisiana where, or to New Orleans, effectively where you need to have uh, the required funding to put that in place. So it's great to put to want to put a service in place, but then you have to make sure that uh, both uh, the customers on the line, the state, and the local governments are supportive as well as the federal government. Yeah, and again, as we said earlier, broadly speaking, we do share the goal expressed by executive order, and a lot of the things which are pro-competitive and very positive that the CNKC is proposing were actually proposed uh, in writing as part of our work since April. Uh, you know, and I think in many cases we're, we're very much in line to the spirit of what was being asked in terms of creating competition, creating option, and uh, enabling passenger service when the passenger service has the, the funding available. But, but I guess just to be clear, in terms of coming up with an agreement with them, it's too late to do that to have any influence on the voting trust. You really need to get that decision first and then then you could negotiate with them afterwards if, if you get the decision. Yeah, it's important to remember, in the context of the voting trust, these were comments on our petition. 
So it's not really an area where you enter into a settlement agreement in the context of the overall application what you would do. So in this case, it was, you know, open for comments. That was one of the one of the conditions under the under the uh, current rules. That was normal. People made comments, and we responded to all those comments in our response on July 6th, including the Amtrak uh, response. But you know, obviously, in the context of the overall. Uh, control application, that's where you get into settlement agreements with various parties. So it's a, it was not really in the context of the voting trust. It's not really an area where that gives rise to that, that, that uh, type of agreement as in the overall control application. Right. Okay, Tom. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Jason Fidel from Colin. Your line is now open. Uh, thank you, operator. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, quick question. I wanted to go back to the pricing side. I mean, you, you noted that uh, once again, uh, you were able to get even higher pricing than the previous quarter. Um, you know, KCS noted rising rail cost inflation into the future and the need to probably get even uh, further price increases on their end. Do you think you're getting enough for what you're seeing in the rail cost inflation for the back half of the year? And do you think there's an ability on your end to get even to garner more than you uh, than you had this quarter? So there is rail inflation. Uh, eventually, you will see it in the all-inclusive rail index of the AR because there's a bit of a lag in that index. But we all saw it coming, and already you saw the same store price for Q1 and the trend of the same store price in Q2. I'm not sure. I think we are getting what we need in some of the rail inflation that we're seeing right now because we're conscious that they might, there will probably be a lag in these index. And as you may know, we have very little business that works with index. Maybe we want to talk about uh, pricing, uh, James? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, the value of our product supports our Customers, so our expectation is we will be able to continue to price well ahead of railway cost inflation moving forward. And I think our performance in the last two quarters is is indicative of what we should expect to see moving forward here, pricing ahead of railway cost inflation. That's good color. Appreciate the time. That was my one. Thank, Thank you, you, Jason. Your next question comes from the line of Connor Gupta from Scotiabank. Your line is now open. Thanks, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so just a question on BC wildfire. Uh, it kind of goes back to the earlier question, but I want to kind of ask you differently. Um, when, when you're running slower trains and there is a cost of running those slower trains, who really bears the cost for that? Is it CN or do you share that cost with your shippers? And can you somewhat kind of quantify the impact on Q3, what you see in July? Uh, be it in terms of, you know, your operations or EPS, what kind of impact do you expect? Thanks. Uh, I, I, you know, we, we uh, pricing is not related to uh, speed of train. Uh, I don't know if uh, you want to... Yeah, make let, me, let me take a stab at that. So, you know, the, the bridge we just got back was uh, less than a week ago. So it's a bit early to really understand the full impacts of it. So much of it is the big impact will be dependent on the weather, and the weather fluctuates. Right now, we haven't seen a lot of 33-plus degree Celsius weather out there that would really trigger that 25. Um, we are running slower, and there is a backlog. So we don't have it all calculated in terms of the impact. It will have impact. Um, but, uh, you know, as soon as we, we have some more clearing in terms of understanding this. And, and the other thing I would just say is that it still is very active out there. So speed restriction or not, still very active in British Columbia with fires, and, and we've seen uh, times at night where uh, fires spark up in the mountains and come down towards our tracks, and we have to stop for a period of time. So very fluid situation, but as soon as we have some greater clarity on it, uh, certainly share that. I, I, I would add, uh, Conard, that uh, in terms of impact of Q3, we don't offer uh, quarterly guidance. We offer yearly guidance, and uh, we're very confident, again, as I said in my remarks, and, and JJ alluded to, that uh, we are comfortable to reaffirm our yearly guidance of uh, targeting double-digit EPS growth for 2021. Thank you, Yeah, Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Steve Hansen from Raymond James. Your line is now open. 
Oh, yes, good afternoon, everyone. Just a quick one on the uh, grain outlook, if I may. Uh, it sounds like the old crop volumes are getting a little more scarce here, and we've, of course, got the drought-like conditions weighing on, on the current yield prospects out there. And I think we're also even up against a tough comp with respect to the harvest timing this fall. So just, just maybe James or, or someone perhaps a little bit of commentary around the outlook for grains for the back half of the year. Thanks. Yeah, James, we had, what, 14 months, record months in a row, but uh, it's very dry right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 14 record months in a row, as you know, Stephen, and, you know, for us that means we're going to finish the crop year here in July at an all-time record for, for CN, an all-time record for Canadian farmers and their ability to get their, their product to market. So we're very proud of that. But this new supply chain resiliency that we've created is going to be a real benefit to farmers in Q4. You know, regardless of the size of the crop for next crop year, 2021, 2022, we will have a strong Q4. Farmers always want to move the crop as soon as possible when it comes off. So Q4 is going to be strong for us. I would say it's still early days. Yeah, you know, it's been hot. It's been dry. Uh, there's some difficult growing conditions out there. I would say that the conditions are most difficult in the Dakotas and Southern Prairies. So we're a little bit insulated from that. But all in, it's not going to be, um, you know, the record bumper crops uh, for sure that we've seen for the last uh, last couple of years. But our job is to make sure that we have the uh, the people, the assets, the power, and the resources required to move the grain crop for our Canadian customers. And we're gonna we're gonna be there to help make sure that happens in Q4 of this year, um, as we see a very very strong demand to move an early crop as quickly as possible to market. And I think James, you you continue to invest into a long term in that business through. Uh, some more hopper cars, and we have some customers also who are building their elevators on the CN network. Yeah, it's been very successful, this grain supply chain. Uh, we've seen over the last year and a half about a 50% increase in export capabilities over the Port of Vancouver. You know, very robust ability to handle more grain over the Port of Prince Rupert. Lots of investment by our customers in inland elevators and high-throughput elevators, loop tracks. And, and, of course, on our side, you know, a very significant investment in new hopper cars, new high-capacity hopper cars that allow us to ship more product with fewer resources. Just put it into context, based on the new hopper cars that we bought, we can ship the equivalent of four extra trains a week of grain products to the coast without adding any additional resources. So it's very good for CN, very good for our customers. And again, Q4 is going to be solid. Look forward to it. So we'll compete hard. Thank you, Steve. Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Kaufman from Vertical Research. Your line is now open. Thank you very much, and thank you for the, the explanation of um, where you stand in terms of the transactions. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you have two outstanding transactions right now that the Rail's pursuing, uh, smaller deals, line sales, things like that. Can you give us an update on where you stand with the regulators on those? Yeah, Sean is uh, on top of those two. Yeah, both, both are pending. Um, one is us directly, and one is the purchaser. Uh, that case uh, pending at the STB, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, we're um, we're uh, in the case of Messina Line, we're in conversations with uh, our partner, also on the STB, to to see how we can uh, get this uh, deal approved ultimately. But uh, and uh, the other one has just been filed recently, so uh, those are cases that are pending. The STB is very busy; they have quite a few. Uh, um, uh, cases pending a lot on their on their on their plate, but uh, we are pursuing both of them, and uh, hopefully we'll have some outcomes in the coming weeks. Okay, that's my one. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Your next question comes from the line, Justin Wong from Stephen. Your line is now open. Hello, Justin. Hi. Good afternoon. I wanted to ask a question about technology. As you think about this proposed merger with KCS, does it change either the magnitude or the pace of your planned technology investments? And if this is something that could accelerate your technology roadmap, could you speak to some of the incremental opportunities the merger could create? Yeah, I think Rob can. Uh, Rob is actually using quite a bit of that already on the CN network. Rob, you want to expand on the power of technology on a bigger network? Yeah, certainly. We do see that as part of the synergies, uh, comparing both of our technologies, but certainly from a CN perspective, you know, getting some of our uh, ATIP cars running across the CN, CN KCS network combined, we've certainly seen um, big uh, results in terms of uh, 
the ATIP cars running across the CN network uh, in terms of making our railroads safer, finding uh, defects before they become urgent defects, and, and really uh, reducing some of the uh, service interruptions that we have out there. So sharing that kind of technology, you know, KCS has, has some uh, broad plans as well in terms of portals and that, and, and just combining what we have in place with our portal technology with theirs, we help we think can uh, can make a uh, a uh, a safer, stronger network. So we do see that as an opportunity here. And for those of you who've never seen a, a native car, there's a picture of one of them uh, in the preceding slide from Rob's section. It's a box car. It's beige. It says safety inspection. And in that example, it's running on anti-model train. So as the train is moving freight and generating revenue. The, the, the box car, the safety car, is also inspecting the network for making sure that uh, we're running safety. Thank you for your question, Justin. Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the call over back to Mr. J.J. Vuga. Well, thank you. Thank you for all of you to joining us today. Uh, we wanted to cover both our quality results and giving you an update on uh, our combination with uh, KCS. I know most of you are quite up to date with all the detail of where we're at in terms of our combination, but uh, and uh, you know we should know in a couple of weeks, sometime in uh, late July, early August, uh, when the STB has the time to reflect on all the things that uh, we have filed and other people have filed too. But uh, we're very confident that uh, we have a very solid case. We are uh, meeting the test for the voting trust and we are creating definitely new competition and new public benefit. So we're, we're looking with the, 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 the answer this summer with optimism, and, uh, and then uh, we'll talk uh, after the decision. So thank you for joining us today. The conference call is now ended. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.